Kia ora koutou, Church Fano. Awesome to see you here. What an amazing morning hanging out with the family here. Um, it was awesome, even though we lost by one. So consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Um, so I was like, okay, do I do like two sermons? Like it has to be rugby focused. Do I just do one if we win and one if we lose, just depending on how it goes? But I'm not even going to go for a rugby sermon this morning. I thought that was the safest way. But i got something that's really exciting. I want to talk about stories this morning. And your story and my story and how it fits in with God's story. So Revelation 12, 11 is a really cool verse. And it's talking about the end of days and what's going on and, and the, the believers that are here and alive. And it says, and they have conquered him, which is the devil. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. So three things, how believers overcome the devil, and it's really simple and self-explanatory. The blood of the lamb, which is understanding what Jesus did, and the power of the cross, um, and, and the huge infinite victory that Jesus did on the cross for us. He, he took our place, he paid the price, understanding the power and the blood of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony, and I'll talk about that in a second, for they love not their lives even unto death. They had made Jesus the Lord of their entire life, and death did not concern them anymore. Three things right there to overcome the devil. But I just want to have a look at this part here. It says, in between the blood of the lamb and not loving your lives even unto death, it says the word of their testimony. What does that actually mean? So word is logos in the Greek, and it simply means telling. And um, testimony in the Greek also is martyria, if I've pronounced that right. And it can mean an eyewitness account, a personal report, or a true story. So the word of their testimony overcoming the devil includes um, telling the story of your life, the true story of what Jesus has done in your life, and the ups and downs, and maybe the defeats and, and the victories, but the great hope and love we have in Jesus and what he has done in our life. And you can actually literally translate that very accurately by saying they overcame by the telling of their story. There's something incredibly powerful and supernatural comes into play when we tell of the story of what Jesus has done in our life. It's, it's supernatural. Something comes into our lives. Obviously, it's the Holy Spirit. When we share about what Jesus has done, and even when we're going through hard times, the hope that we have and the understanding that the, our story has not finished yet, and we know how it's going to end, and we are going to be victorious, the telling of our story is so powerful. Just a couple of examples in the Bible. Um, Mark 5, 18 to 20, there was a demon-possessed man, and he was free. He got free because of Jesus. Verse 18 as Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, which is the 12 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. It's the telling of his story. The Samaritan woman um, and she had had a rough life as well. But in verse 37, after she had had that encounter with Jesus, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, because she told her story. He told me all that I have ever 
did or all that I ever did. And right throughout the Bible, there are people that have told their story. And right throughout world history, there are people that have told their story about what Jesus has done in their life and the encounter they've had with Jesus. And it not just transformed their life, but it transforms other people's lives as well. So with this little sermon this morning, I could just talk about testimonies. But wouldn't it be incredibly powerful if we heard some true life testimonies um, from people in our church, Fano? Um, maybe we know them well, maybe we don't know them well, but I just thought it would be incredible to hear some stories, true stories this morning. So um, I want to welcome up on stage with me this morning a few people, good friends, Paula, Gilles, Jono, and Robbie. Come up to the stage. And I don't know if it was coincidence or the Holy Spirit or not, but it just so happens that Paul is from Fiji and Jill's from France and Jono's from Wales and Robbie's from South Africa. So it's almost like a little bit of a rugby theme going on here. Um, so where are you guys? If you just want to jump up the front, grab a stool and join me on stage. Let's give all the South Africans a hand in the building this morning. booing here. Oh, Andrew. Classic. <laughs> well, they've even got colors going on. This is awesome. It's a bit of a League of Nations here. So um, it is very nerve-wracking to come up here and, and to be vulnerable enough to tell your story. Um, so these guys are incredible. And um, I know some of their stories well, some not so well, and, but I just know it's going to be a powerful morning, so um, encourage them and cheer them on. But I thought today it would be better, um, and it's a lot easier to do a bit of an interview style, so um, I'll just ask a couple of questions and they can pass the... Oh, have we got the MC mic? Is that around? No, Mitch stole the MC mic. It's all right. <laughs> okay, we'll just switch way through. So, I thought what the coolest thing, uh, what we could do to begin with is just maybe pass the mic along and just give us like a, a minute and a half of what your guys' names are and where you're from and just, you know, maybe if you've got kids or if you're married or not, um, just for the first question. So, take it away, Jono. Well, Boreda, for those that don't know that, that's good morning in Welsh. Nice. <laughs> so, just to burst that bubble, I was actually born in England. I was born in the north, uh, northwest of England in a, it sounds a bit funny, in a place called Lytham St. Anne's, but I was only born there because Lytham's a posh place, you see. Um, but then I lived in a little village called Freckleton. Don't you love the word, the names? Anyway, so that was back in good old 1969. So I'm a child of the 60s, so that makes me 54. Come on. Um, but my family moved to Swansea, hence the Welsh top, when I was four and um, did all my schooling there in Swansea. Went to Bishop Gore um, School. I did my nurse training in, uh, in Bristol, near Bristol, in French A Hospital, uh, and that started in 1989. So this really is a history lesson, you know. <laughs> this is my story. Um, I currently work as a nurse in the renal unit in the Fangare Base Hospital. Um, I married my amazing wife, Jo, 28 years ago. The same time that we, the All Blacks lost to South Africa in Johannesburg. 
So this is not good, is it? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't share again at church when the World Cup's on. <laughs> um, we emigrated here in 20, 2002, um, and then we fostered our youngest daughter, Sean. I just need to go back. Um, I've got two children. Zara was born in Birmingham. Caleb was born in Bristol. And then Sean is our youngest, and we adopted her. Um, I've got two amazing granddaughters, Kaylee and Leah, and uh, amazing uh, son-in-law, Matt. And um, Kayla's got a wonderful um, girlfriend called Chloe. So that's really my start. Awesome. Bonjour tout le monde. Mon nom est Gilles. Bonjour. As you notice, I come from France. Then I'm 42. Um, I have three lovely children. My first daughter is Lilou. After that, I have Arthur and, and the little one, Zach, just over there. And yep, um, I used to live in, in Strasbourg. Strasbourg is northeast from France, very close with the Germany side. Then I used to live there nearly all my life for 30, 32 years. And we decided to move to have a new adventure. And we moved to England first in the south, in Eastbourne, for five years. And from that, we decided to move here in Tongarei. And we are living here for now more than five years. Here, I, um, I work as a security technician for the last four years. And it's all about my life, and yep. That's good. Come on. Good morning. My name is Robbie. Come from South Africa. <laughs> Moved to New Zealand in 2008. Came straight to Whangarei, the winterless north, they told me. <laughs> um, been a, I'm a mechanic. Been self-employed since 1992. Always done my own thing. Um, my wife, when she's angry with me, she calls me by my real name, Robert Eric. <laughs> Luckily, I don't hear that often. <laughs> yeah, my friends call me Robbie. And um, proud to be a Kiwi. Wow. Although I'll always shout by the Springboks. Don't know why. <laughs> First team, second team, Kiwis. I'm just really happy that my two top teams are the best in the world. Nice. Sorry about the French and the Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's me, Robbie. Awesome. Uh, once again, congratulations, South Africa, for the win this morning. Uh, but good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Paula. And um, originally, I'm from Fiji. I migrated to New Zealand about 18 years ago. I uh, lived in South Island uh, before moving up to Whangarei 2008. I've got uh, one daughter, her name is Grace, she's 33 years old. Um, and I, when I moved up from Fiji, I was working as a, a full-time firefighter in the fire service before coming over to Christchurch and moved up here to Whangarei and started working at the prison. Uh, for about 12 and a half years before I left and at the moment I'm doing some work with young people with youths uh, That have been uh, been been in trouble uh, Just helping to support them 
to get back, uh, get back their lives in the right direction. Yeah. That's me. So good. So the next couple of questions, and I'll sort of meld them into one. Um, what was your life be like before you became a Christian, or what crisis happened um, in your life, and how did you actually come to Jesus? Oh, well, that's, you gave us one question at a time. That's all good. Just that's all good. I'll merge it. <laughs> okay, look, um, when Simon asked me, um, so I was brought up in a, in a Christadelphian family. Now, my parents, their parents, their parents. So that made me like a fourth, what they call a fourth generation Christadelphian. Um, and by technician or by definition, they're, divine, they're sort of like a cult um, by definition. Because um, it's basically their statement of faith, their beliefs are written by one person, interpretation of the Bible. Um, and in some ways, Christadelphians are similar to like JWs, um, but they didn't write their own Bible. They still, you know, still... Go, go by the authorized Bible. In my late, late teens, early 20s, you know, I rebelled. You know, I was a teenager. A um, bit like the prodigal son, went away. Um, women, um, uh, lots of drinking, recreational and party drugs, um, lots of parties, festivals. Um, things I'm not proud of, like, you know, drink driving. Um, uh, and when I was high... Um, making bad choices, you know, putting myself in situations that were quite dangerous uh, and um, could have done harm to myself or to others. I remember one time I was in Amsterdam, completely off my face, and um, got knives pulled on me. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get stabbed. And then a, a police car pulled around the corner, and praise God, um, that was okay, you know. So I really believe, even when I was a teenager, when I was making bad choices, God was, had his hand on me. Uh, and I'm so thankful for my prayers of my mother. Wow. So back in 1991, a few things happened. Um, came back from the hospital social club. And um, as you did when you were a student nurse, after a few drinks, go back to your girlfriend's room, turn the telly on, and there's cruise missiles coming down the road and the bombing Baghdad. It was the first Gulf War. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is it. This is the end of the world. Um, you know, I was insane watching it and thinking, oh gosh, you know, I'm on the wrong side. What am I going to do? Um, my world's, my life's a mess. Um, next evening, went to a Bible, youth Bible study. I hadn't been to one for years. Happened to know some people in Bristol that, were, that I knew from Swansea. And um, they got talking about the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, well, I know what side I'm going to be on. I'm going to be a goat. That's not the greatest of all time, if you know what that means, but... Um, you know, I was going to be like, you know, Jesus was going to say to me, I, I don't know you. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is not good. And then my grandfather died. And then I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not going to see him again. And then the, the biggest thing was then I got, I got arrested for a drugs, cannabis possession. Um, and with everything that went with that, you know, being locked up in a cell and, you know, it wasn't very nice. Um, and then thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get kicked off my nursing course. What else have I got to do? And, and you know, it was really bad. So really, in November 1991, I just said, well, what do I know? Well, I go back to the Christadelphians. That's what I knew. So I thought, I've got to turn my life around. So I turned up 6.30 on a Sunday evening with my long hair. You didn't get the picture, did you? Oh, my gosh, there we go. <coughs> so this was me when I was younger. Um, 
<laughs> oh, funny. Um, you know, I'm not proud of what I did, but I'm just so thankful, you know, where I am now. Um, don't put that online, Christy. <laughs> oh, this is all online. Too late, it's live. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I knew, I went back to the Christadelphians, that's what I knew, so I, and I knew I needed to be re repent of my sins, um, so I was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, I really felt like I was the prodigal son, you know, coming back to the Father. You know, my, my life really did completely turn around. Uh, in fact, in fact, that um, the evening that I was going to get baptized, my mum came to the nursing uh, accommodation, and uh, she, I was just walking along the corridor thinking, oh, that's my mum. She said, excuse me, can you tell me where Jonathan Antigen's room is? I said, mum, it's me. You know, you know, she just couldn't recognize me. I mean, I had had my hair cut, so that's probably why. <laughs> um, but the best thing for me for being in the Christadelphians, of course, I met my wife. If I hadn't been in the Christadelphian, you know, I wouldn't have met Joe. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, and we were always searching for something different, you know. We always felt there was something else, you know. We attended Spring Harvest and things like this, you know, and big other non-Christian events. Um, and there was really only like six places, six Christadelphian meetings we could go to in the whole of the UK that would really welcome me because I had a bit of a reputation. Um, and I wasn't your traditional Christadelphian, you know, I really was um, sort of thinking outside the box. And then God, uh, I really felt God felt his call to New Zealand. And um, we met a couple in India, and they actually lived in Whangarei, they lived at the top of Manu Hill, so I emailed them, and they sent me a map. And um, we opened the map, me and Joe, and um, we saw the first, pretty well, the first thing we saw was Christian Renewal Fellowship on the map. And then also on Arahi, we thought, oh, wow, cool, that, that, that was God was drawing us again and guiding us, I believe. So December 2002, when we arrived, we came to a Christmas service. I can't remember which way this, I think it was, anyway, that way, yeah. And um, it was, uh, you know, we just felt something different. We felt touched by something different. Wow. And then in 20, 2003, uh, we went on the, I did the Alpha course. We did Alpha course here, and um, it was in the old library that was up, been, since been knocked down. And uh, then on the weekend, Joe came too, and um, we managed to get babysitters for the weekend, and I, gosh, that was it. It was like scales falling off my eyes. We were, wow. trans we were transformed, you wow. know, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so it was like my Damascus Road experience. It was really amazing. Um, we found something more. It became, it became from, you know, a head knowledge. I'm really thankful for the grounding and the teaching I had as a child, but then it came to heart, you know, and it was like a, an extra bit of repentance, and, you know, really was amazing. Um, and I sort of could call myself a, a uh, born-again Christian, you know, it was amazing. Uh, and on a side note, it was <laughs> quite funny, I still laugh at it now, uh, I was disfellowshipped from the Christian office. So <laughs> I was excommunicated. <laughs> <laughs> so good, Johnny, so good. <laughs> I was born and raised in a non-Christian family, and I have good parents, you know. I always had roof food on my table. And when I was young, I didn't have to complain about that. The only things for me was missing in my family was love. And after that, I grew up, start my own journey on my own. And like everyone in the 20s, 30s, you like to go out, have parties, test new things. And, and one day you'd realize that's not the good things to do, you know? Then from that, I start for the family, have kids, look after them do my best for them, and, and yeah, and what the, what's happened if now I join the churches is because I'm separated with my wife, 
And yeah, it's been a very difficult time for me. You know, I was in the dream. And from one day to the other one, it was a nightmare. Then during this difficult period, I knew Robbie and I came to his workshop. And just normal question, how are you? I should say, yeah, all good, bro, nothing. Everything is okay. And I just say, no, my life is crumbling in front of me. And he talked to me. And that was the first time he talked about God. And my heart beat like never. I was like, what's going on? He's talking about God, telling me things that I was like, wow. Came back home and his voice started to change my life, you know. And from that, I went many times to Amin and all this place, talk about God. And for me, honestly, at the beginning, no, no way to go to God. Is what he's doing to me and my family now. No way. And came here to the church. And I remember the first day I was here on Sunday. I cried. I cried for sadness. And, and he carried on to, to talk with them. And the next weekend, he came back here. And I cried. Joy. I don't understand. He was, was the worshiping. He was, I was singing. And, and something happened again here in my heart. And he just bang, bang. And just like, wow, what's going on? <laughs> and yet, and... It's a good journey, and I, I, I thank God for that. I thank people here in the church because a lot of people are very supportive in my situation, and, and yeah, it's where now I am, and it's a beautiful journey to be part of the church because, as I said to my mom, my physical family is in France, but my spiritual family is here. What was the second question, Simon? <laughs> oh, that's our work plan. Sorry. No, it's all good. Just, um, what was your life like? What What happened in your life to bring you to the Lord? Yeah. Well, my life before the Lord was hopeless. You know, it's trying to be a good person drug addict, alcoholic, my hope was in the wrong things, it was hopeless. What was the third question? How, how did, did I come yeah. to the Lord? <laughs> well, marriage problems. Wow. Um, I was married before, that marriage didn't last, <coughs> the second marriage to my wife, Amin. I think it was in 2004, she said she wants a divorce, and I just turned to God. I said, you know, promised in front of you, I'm not going to do it again. Turned to him, uh, he gave us the grace to somehow make it through. Um, we moved to New Zealand, um, started backsliding. 2008, never came to church, um, you know, always had good faith, but faith without works is dead, and then this last year again, more marriage problems, I said to my wife, I'm out, I'm done, no more, and this time she turned to God, wow. and I heard she's going to church, 
gave it a week or two, said, I'll come with you. And um, here we are today. That's where we are. Safe. What was number four? Um, What's my life like today? Um, we can do that next year. We'll do that next year. Hey? Next year. <laughs> hey. Sorry. Save that for next time. That's it. Um, um, what's my life like now? <laughs> it's all right, Robbie. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, when I introduced myself, I forgot to mention, I know some of the questions was like, how old are you? So I'm 46 years old. I've been married for 23 years, uh, and my daughter is 23. I also have previous uh, kids before I got married. I, I got two children. Uh, older than Grace, she, they are both in Fiji. Uh, my uh, <clears throat> my journey before I became a Christian, I, I grew up in a in a like in a, a church uh, family. They go to church every Sunday in Fiji. There's mo mostly every Sunday, everyone goes to, to church because if you're not, you might get a, a growling or a spanking from uh, your parents. Uh, I, I actually am originally from a place where Christianity first. I started in Fiji. Uh, I was started in my in a, my village uh, from the province of Lao, and the first missionaries arrived there. And my great 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 grandfather was the first Fijian that accepted them. And um, so the church started in that part of Fiji before it went to the other parts of uh, Fiji. Uh, so it came from Tonga, from uh, missionaries from London. And uh, so I've always been reminded as a young person when we grew up in Suva, very basic lifestyle. We were in a rural area. There was no water, no electricity. We were just um, sort of living by with land and whatever that um, solo breadwinner was, was my dad. Or, but actually, <coughs> uh, so we went to church every Sunday. Dad did not go to church. We all dressed up in the morning. We went to church. Dad dressed up to go and drink kava. Um, so it was not till late that he, the first time he came to church, it was such a, a big thing for us as children. But my crisis, uh, what led me to Christ, my, my, as a young person, um, my biological parents were never together. Uh, they separated before I even knew it. So I was very young, probably even before I became two years old. I was, and I was adopted in another family. Uh, they, they brought me up and there was a lot of mixed experiences there. Uh, there was uh, uh, good experiences, but there were also very uh, harmful experiences. I was uh, um, vulnerable to being physically abused very badly from uh, very close relatives. Uh, I think I was just a vulnerable young child uh, being at the mercy of, uh, of people that were surrounding me. And at the age of four, I was planning to run away from the place because uh, it was so severe. Mum had married again. And so luckily, I was able to go and visit mum when she uh, got married and uh, they were having a baby shower. And on our way there, I pleaded to go with the relatives that I was staying with. And as we got there, I asked them, I asked mom if I could not go back. I couldn't tell her what was happening, but uh, I used to wake up early in the morning having breakfast with a bloody nose, or uh, it, was, it was really, really bad. Uh, but that was, it almost shaped the, the way that I reacted to things as I grew up. Uh, while, I, so while I stayed with mom, I didn't know that was my stepdad. So at the age of 13, I finally realized that was my, not my biological dad. So as, as in a cultural perspective, it was very fakama for me. It was very uh, embarrassing, not knowing um, where you're from, because we are mostly identified where our dad is from. Uh, 
uh, that was a big thing for me. But it was a no discussion topic that we could talk about at home. So at the age of 13, my journey with uh, alcohol, drugs started from there. At the age of 15, I was uh, every weekend I was at the nightclub. I didn't know how the security always let me in, but that was my lifestyle. I was drugs, alcohol. Um, I'm sure if there was pee or, or meth at the time, I would have taken it. I was just trying to be at a place where I felt really comfortable. Um, I actually took off from home. I was living with friends. So most of my school, school years, secondary school years, I was away from home. Uh, I got kicked out of school. I went to some really good schools in Fiji. Unfortunately, my behavior was not the best. And I, I feel like I was a product of that environment. Um, but I made some decisions as a very young person, not knowing who to talk to. Uh, at the age of 18, I was, uh, had my first court case. I, 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 whenever I took alcohol, all this anger used to come out and I would try to take on anyone. Um, it was someone that really upset me. I would solve everything with my own, um, with my own abilities, with my own hands. Uh, until the age of 18, I was arrested uh, for assaulting a person who was in a coma in the hospital. So I would have been done for murder if the person could have uh, survived the coma. Um, and I knew that I had to do some changes in my life, but I just did not know how to. Um, and uh, so my life was just a continuous of that. I left school not knowing any plans. I, I was so involved in sports, and that's probably one of the things that kept me in school. Uh, why I was accepted into other schools, because I was good at rugby. I missed out on a contract to France uh, because I was so indulged in alcohol. And, um, but um, I missed out on the contract. I went to the village. Uh, decided I'll stay in the village, just live off the land, uh, fishing. Um, but that was where I met my wife, uh, who was posted on a first uh, on a graduation from nursing school to the hospital back in uh, the, the, the village, uh, my village. So we met there, and uh, things started to sort of change. He came from a very strict background. Uh, very, uh, our parents were both ministers in the Methodist church, uh, but she had a different lifestyle. And I, I thank God that she that he probably brought this fine young woman to me to sort of look at my life and know that I could, you know, that I could change my life. Uh, but fast forward, one night um, back in Suva, where when we moved from the village to Suva, I, we decided that it wasn't gonna work for us. Uh, both our parents were not really supportive and because of my lifestyle, they thought that I wasn't able to manage my life. How could I manage a family life? So I, I believe that was, you know, that was reasonable for them to think that way. But I, I sort of felt that I needed a chance to prove that I could do something useful in my life. And that, that, uh, that night we decided it was just too much for everyone. For her, she was pregnant with my daughter and uh, she, we decided to call it quits. So that night, I, I don't know how many joints of uh, cannabis that I smoked that night, but I was so high. And my motive that night was to harm someone or to cause harm to myself. So I walked down the streets of Suva, which is the capital of Fiji, uh, just waiting for some trouble to come my way, and I would probably do something that I, I believe was gonna make people happy, who had labeled me for all the frustration, all the actions, or all the decisions that I've made, that that was gonna be my lifestyle. Uh, I, I saw this guy who was looking at me, and uh, I thought, man, this is the perfect guy that I would just take my frustration on. I went, I started approaching him. Uh, by the time I got to him, and I was expecting a confrontation, he stepped forward and told me, brother, I just wanna let you know that Jesus loves you. Oh, and uh, that was, that hit me so hard. Uh, I didn't wanna um, sort of receive it, 
But I kept on walking, didn't want to hear it, but I started bawling. My eyes, I started tearing up. I got to the bus station, and uh, lucky the lights were off at the bus station, uh, so no one could see me. I was just weeping, couldn't hold myself. For the first time in my life, I knew that someone really cared for me, and someone really knew what I was going through. That someone that could, it just answered a lot of questions in my heart. That very word, Jesus loves you. So I went back and spoke to this young person, not knowing that he was a pastor who was just ministering in the streets. And he prayed for me. But it started a series of uh, uh, times where every time I'll be standing at the bus station waiting for a bus, there was someone who would come up and say, brother, have you heard about Jesus? And, we'll talk, and I felt like it was about more than three or four times someone would come up and talk about God to me. And uh, I remember the last time I started smiling because the guy was like, what are, you, what are you smiling about? I said, man, you're not the first person that's talked to me about God. I, and I just believe that God was really pursuing me. Uh, but fast forward later, I, I turned up to a church service, a youth meeting, who were having a prayer, prayer, uh, prayer night till morning. I turned up half drunk, but that night I gave my life to the Lord. I said my life to the Lord and all those habits, all those lifestyle just dropped that very same day. So you know, and I thank God. Uh, so that was what uh, led me to Christ, and I'm so thankful that I've made the decision. Thank you. So good, man. So good. The power of testimony. So um, just the last couple of questions, and we can sort of string them together. What's your life like now? And if you could say something to someone who is broken or searching or lost or hurting, what would it be? <laughs> oh, look, I still have my struggles. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human being, and I need the love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. Um, but he's forgiven me uh, and, and transformed me. And I, I just, you know, I'm amazed. We're all, we're all such a fantastic testimonies. It's amazing, yeah. you know. And I've, it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that can tr that's transformed me, you know. Um, salvation is an amazing thing. Um, um, I can't imagine actually not living without my faith now. I just cannot imagine going back to what it was like before. It's just not, not even comprehensible. Um, or without my church, Fano and my and my brothers, you know, and the support that I get from them, you know, we we quite often, you know, pray for each other, don't we? And you know, and it's just amazing, you know. And I'm just thankful for that. Thankful for the word that I can read it in this country. I thank I'm thankful that I can pray in this country. I can pray at my workplace. I can pray for people in work. It's just like that doesn't happen in other countries. Um, and I have a hope. Um, there's so many people at the moment, in the last few years, you know, throughout the pandemic and everything, you know, they have no hope. You know, we have hope in the living God who have a relationship with him. Um, you know, don't put your faith in anything else, you know. You know, it's not complicated, really. It's quite simple. Call out to God. So good. He has been a beautiful journey for me from the beginning when I came for the first time here I just realized that the place I have to be you know and through the, the month I, I went through my club that for me as an, this time not really a believer in God I was like that's going to be the good things to do and these three months have been amazing you know learning a lot about each other and opening your hearts, talking to God, and is where you realize that, from my point of view, is the most beautiful thing you can have in your life. And is where I am up to now today. I try to keep what I learn from different people here, and I use that daily. I know every day life is not easy, 
Okay, we go through different seasons. You can see this morning through the game, the happiness from people, the sadness, everything on once. Then this is what it is in our life too. And I would say that life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. So good. So good. Thanks. And another quote from the same person is, you can't change, from, uh, you can come back and change the beginning, but you can start from where you are and change the ending. Oh, so good. So good. So good. Um, what's my life like today? Well, not perfect. Always have those trials and tribulations. But that's a good thing, right? Because the enemy was to spoil my victory. But the big difference is now I have hope. So good. Whereas before I was hopeless. So... Anybody that needs uh, some advice, what I can tell you from my point of view is never give up. Mm. Never give up. There's only one Savior, and that's Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. He sets us free from all sorts of things. Um, I know there's a hole in my heart, and it's only Jesus can fill that hole. He's our living hope. Without him, my life would be hopeless again. And I don't want to go back there. So, never give up and keep your mind's eye on the end when our earthly race is over. Yeah. If we do not give up, there's a great prize waiting for us. Better than any World Cup. Yeah, come on. <laughs> From Scripture, Galatians 6 verse 9, Let us not become weary of doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Zephaniah 3.17 For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hence, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. I hope to see all of you in paradise. Yes. Um, I'm just so humbled by God's uh, faithfulness and his goodness um, and his love. It just mellowed me right down from the day I gave my life to the Lord. And I've just seen visibly what God has unfolded. I had no plan. By the time I committed my life to the Lord, I just committed it to God. I said, Lord, this is my life. I cannot do it anymore. I just need you to please make out a, map out a plan for me. God's plan is so good. We wouldn't, without his plan, I wouldn't be probably sitting here. I'll be probably sitting in a jail or somewhere in Fiji. 
but I'm just so humbled by his goodness. For someone that's going through hurt and brokenness, you know, there's a, there's a level of trust that happens when we go through those times. But the Bible reminds us that we can trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our on understanding, understanding the things that we go through in life. But we can trust him with all your heart, not partially, because he will never fail you. And that's something that I've really been blessed to know, that I can trust God. That even when things are not looking good, I know that I can trust him, that I know my future is secure with him. And that is, that is how I feel right now. At the moment, I, I've just looked back and seen what God has done, and how God has orchestrated my life to the point I am right now. I'm just so blessed, and uh, I, ca- I know the best is still yet to come. You know, before I left Fiji, and we were, it, it's a big step coming from the islands to come overseas. It's a different lifestyle, you know, uh, with work, with opportunities. But when I left Fiji, I, I was so thinking about my faith in God. I was just so concerned about my faith because I've learned about a few of my countrymen that have left Fiji and got distracted while coming overseas because there's so many things they're being so exposed to. So I took my mattress and went to the church where we used to worship, fellowship, and I slept there for three days. Just fasted and just inquiring to God whether this was his plan or not. And, uh, and I wanted God just to talk to me and just speak to me whether this was his plan. And uh, on the third day, I went without water and without food. It was, I was so weak. But I was reading the Bible and I was just trying to barely... Th- and then this verse, this chapter in Ephesians 3.20 came up to me and he said, To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us. You know, if you're going through a, a time of trouble or time of uh, testing, uh, you know that what we pray and what we think, God can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than that. And that's what I'm experiencing right now. I'm not saying it's perfect. My life is perfect. I serve a perfect God, perfect Savior. Jesus loves me and that I know. And I want to just encourage someone who's going through that. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean on your understanding. Don't try and understand what's happening. Sometimes you can, sometimes you cannot. But you can trust God and you will see what God will unfold in your life. Thank you. Bless you. So good. Give them all a hand as they take their seats. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, I was privileged to do Fight Club with them at the end, uh, the start of this year, and we're doing Fight Club again next year, so stay tuned for that. Um, if I can just have a, a keyboardist up to provide some mood music, because that's what we do as we're about to wrap up. Um, makes things go smoothly. Um, thanks so much, guys. That was incredible. I think it might be my favorite church service of the year so far. Uh, it's been awesome. We've got lunch to come. Um, but just really quickly to, to wrap up, just wanted to say... Be ready to go and tell your story. In 1 Peter 3, verse 13 13 to 15, it says, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats, because there's a bit of persecution going on when this was being written. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Worship Christ as the Lord of your life, not just something that we tack onto our life, but give him everything, that he would be just Lord of everything, as Jules was saying. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, the cool thing about stories, what makes a good story, if, if you 
if you're reading a book, it's not so much the prose, but it's the characters and it's the plot. And if you're watching a movie, it's never the CGI that makes a good story. It's, it's the, the characters and, and, and what they go through and the ups and downs and the authenticity. And, and as believers, like sometimes we are down and sometimes we are up and sometimes we are thinking, what on earth is going on? But we all have hope. No matter what is going on in our life, no matter how hard it is right now, we all can have hope in Jesus. And that's, that's, that's the gospel. That's good news. Um, we never need to give up because there is always hope. And the story's not finished being written yet. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has given their life to Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I've read that verse like so many times. It's like, yeah, I pretty much know that. But the Lord directed me to that last part, the new has come. And that word that is translated come in the English I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that um, and again just got some concordances out and lexicons and the Greek is genomai, G-I-N-O-M-A-I and this is what it says. It is used, that word, in certain context, contexts to introduce a new section or paragraph in the narrative in Hebrew narrative style. So it's talking about a story being written that is used in certain contexts to introduce a new section or paragraph in a narrative in Hebrew narrative style. It's saying that the story is still being written. And like, um, I think it was Jill said, we can't go back and change our past, but Jesus can change our future. The story has not been finished written of your life yet. It's still being written. And with us that have given our lives to Jesus, we know that we have hope no matter what goes on in this life. We know what the end is like. We know that we have the victory. We know that Jesus will be infinitely victorious and we'll be able to spend eternity with Him. No matter what is going on in life, we can have peace right now. We can have joy right now and we can always have hope. Your story has not been, has not been finished being written right now. There's more to come. We give our lives to Jesus. So if you just want to stand with me, it'd be awesome. Many times in church services, we give people opportunities to get saved. and um, Mostly a salvation journey is, is a process. Uh, we, we hear that many times people uh, uh, feel that the Lord is, is leading them to make a decision. And so often I think we make it a real quick thing. It's like, okay, give your life to Jesus. And then it's, it's proper sometimes, but it is a big decision to give your life to Jesus to make him the Lord of your life. And I think it was Charles Finney who never did an altar call at his church. He just, or a salvation altar call. He simply said, if you want to know more about Jesus, come and visit me or visit someone during the week. And every single week people did because they wanted to know more. If you're here this morning and you know you're not in the right place with Jesus or you want to know more about Jesus or you want to give your life to Jesus, um, if you came with someone, if someone brought you along, ask them about it. Ask them to explain to you the hope because as believers, all of us should be prepared to, to explain the hope that we have. Um, come up and see us at the end or over lunch. Please don't leave here today without asking someone about this. If you know that God is stirring your heart, please go and see the four guys that gave their stories and they would count it an absolute privilege to be able to talk with you and hopefully introduce you to Jesus. So if we can just raise our hands real quick. I'd love to pray with us all. Thank you, Lord for this incredible journey, for, for saving our souls. 
Lord, that you're leading us on a journey, and sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down, but we know the end, that we can have hope. And I just declare and prophesy and proclaim hope over every person in this place, especially those that are going through some, some dark times. I pray that hope would be so real and credible in their lives and that they would know that you are right with them, God, and that their story isn't over. Lord, there is hope. There is victory for them. I rebuke works of darkness over every person here, over every person watching this. And may we all take that one step closer to you, Jesus, with your arms wide open to receive us. I pray for salvation in this place today and hope in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have an incredible morning. It's not over. We've got lunch. We've got a sausage sizzle. Continue incredible fellowship. And what I love about this church is so often I see people praying for each other and and talking about the Lord. May that continue over the next half hour. God bless you guys. I'm gross.